Last week, we started this series that I'm calling The Mission. If you've been around for the 18 years that I've been your pastor, uh, we do this every year. We get to the school year, and we kind of push pause on what is normally our habit, which is exegetically watching, watching, walking, how about, through the scriptures, verse by verse, and just learning God's word. I want everybody in here to know as much as they can about what God has revealed of himself in his scriptures. And so that's how we do it here normally. Uh, we're going to start First Samuel here in a few weeks. Looking forward to that. Uh, but from time to time, hey, from time to time, uh, we just pause and, and we just have, like we talked about this morning, some reminders. It's really easy for us to kind of get in routines and even in ruts and forget what this is really all about. So we're going to take these four weeks that we're hanging out and talk about the mission. We started last week in Matthew chapter 28 where Jesus, as he's about to ascend into heaven, gathers with his disciples and maybe some others with them, and he tells them, go and make disciples. This has been the mission of the church for 2,000 years. Different churches have stated it in different ways. Around here, we put it like this. Everybody say it with me. You ready? We live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. We live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. We do that principally through uh, or by means of or in the environments of uh, worship, belonging, serving, and multiplying. All right? And so we got some motions for these. Everybody, roller coaster. Here we go. Hands on the air. You're climbing the hill, tick, 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 tick. Are you there with me, Tom? I know you are, yeah. And, and, but this is worship. Now, some of you are never going to do this when we sing, and I know your hands are getting tired, but just leave them up there. I'm almost done. Some of you are never going to do this when we sing the songs, and that's totally fine, but this is one of the ways that we can express our worship to God. And so we say worship. Say it with me. Worship. We want to worship God as we're on his mission. We want to put your arms around someone next to you. Here we go. We talked about that as I was giving the announcements. We want to belong to each other. If you don't know the person you're hugging right now, this is probably a good time to say your name. <laughs> and if they're looking at you funny, let them go. This is not, we don't want this to be an episode of, anyway. All right. So we belong. Everybody say belong. belong. We what? Worship. And we? Belong. All right. And then we give ourselves over to service. Everybody stick your hands like this and say serve. serve. All right, good. We start with? Worship. And then we? Belong. And then we? Nice. Some people really like the belong part, and you're not going to move. I can understand that. That's cool. Last one's this. Everybody put this finger up. Not any other finger, just this finger. And then put two fingers up on this hand. And this is where we get the idea of multiplying. One becomes two. Disciples make disciples. So say multiply. All right, one more time. That's what we're about. I didn't really uh, make a, a, a big statement about it last week, but as we talked through the Great Commission of uh, going and making disciples, we're talking about multiplication. There being more of us as a result of us sharing the good news of Jesus with the world who desperately needs it. We talked last week about being disciples who make disciples. This week we're going to kind of focus on that front end of our mission statement, which says, we live to glorify God. Say that with me. We live to glorify God by making disciples and make disciples, sure. But, but in all of life, life is about us as God's children, bringing him the glory he is due. So we're going to talk about worship today. Turn to someone next to you in your most learned and academic terms. 
Tell them what worship is. Define worship for the person next to you. Go ahead. Have fun. Worship is... Some of you are talking about lunch plans. It's okay. <laughs> worship. I'd start this way. Worship is too big to define in one sentence. Ah, that'd be a punt. But it is. I, I, I looked up worship in lots of books and on lots of trusted websites this week and saw all kinds of definitions. Some of you might have started with something like this, though. Worship is the half hour before Mark preaches. We've taken a calling, the song portion of our services, the worship, the praise and worship time. And certainly, uh, it is dedicated to us remembering God and reflecting to God the, the glory that he deserves as we sing our praises. I've, I've been in a couple of these, though, and I know that often people standing in this portion of our service are doing anything but worship. You can tell by their faces and the fact that their lips aren't moving. Especially some of you guys. I'm sorry, fellas. i got to pick on us for a second. But some of you dudes, it's just, it, I don't know if you're like, you know, having an appendectomy or I don't know what's going on, but you're, <laughs> you're just not, at least outwardly, showing the, the joy of the Lord in your countenance. I pray that all of us can get to the point where we're past ourselves and whether we like the song or not, everybody look at me, whether we like the song or not, we worship the God who is worthy of our praise. Are you with me? Yeah. You know, people talk about a sacrifice of praise, and some of you are like, oh, if I have to sing this song, it is a sacrifice. <laughs> Settle down. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. Back to the sermon. Here we go. Uh, a guy that uh, I haven't agreed with on everything as, as far as, you know, underst our, under, our understandings of God said this, though. I totally agree with what uh, my, uh, my, my fellow brother, John MacArthur, said about uh, worship. He said, worship is our innermost being responding with praise for all that God is through our attitudes, our actions, our thoughts and words based on the truth of God as he has revealed himself to us in his word. Okay, that was pretty concise, but at the same time, very pervasive. Does everybody see that he just kicked out the walls of worship there as being this like 30-minute session that we have together before Mark preaches? Like we're, if, if we're doing this part right, we're worshiping God right now because we're training our hearts on him, we're listening to his words being taught to us, we're interacting with him, and by God's grace, we're going to leave here and do the things that his word has taught us to do. That's an act of worship, even listening to this sermon. Are you with me? But when you wake up in the morning, your attitude, your thoughts, certainly your words, before you ever hit the door for whatever's next, school, work, play, whatever, Everything that you are, everything that you do is an act of worship, should be an act of worship for your God, rooted in his truth as he's revealed himself. It's pervasive. It's constant. Humans were created to worship. That's why God made us, to give him glory. Sin has perverted that purpose, and we worship all, all kinds of other stuff except him. 
But he has wired us to worship, and so we worship constantly. Now, like I said, uh, as, as I open with my first definition, worship's too big for one sermon, okay? But let me just kind of pick some parts that I really love about worship. Probably as you were defining worship, maybe some of you said something about love or affection or adoration, right? Worship is certainly uh, rooted in adoration. We, we are affectionate towards whatever uh, or whoever we're worshiping, and so we heap adoration. We heap praise and honor on the one that we worship. I, uh, I know that, uh, as I've already mentioned, it's possible for us to be in, in the, in the uh, midst of lots of worship and, and worship God not. We've got to be careful about that. Our hearts need to engage in order for true worship to occur. Uh, another theologian, uh, a guy by the name of uh, Stephen Charnock, uh, wrote it this way in one of his books. He says, without the heart, it is not worship. It's a stage play. And acting a part without being that person really. We may truly be said to worship God, though we lack perfection. It's kind of a weird English phrase there, but he's basically saying, listen, we're not ever going to be perfect in how we worship God, right? But we cannot worship him if we lack sincerity. God wants our hearts. He wants us to truly adore him, to appreciate him, to have affection and love for him. As we sang earlier, he loves us. And as we learned in 1 John over the past you know, few months, we love him because he first loved us. Another aspect of worship is consecration. I wanted all the Asian words to rhyme, so I went adoration, consecration. Is everybody with me? Hopefully we'll remember them the easier. But what's consecration? We don't use that one every day. Consecration means to set apart. Uh, it means to, my feeding back, I'm feeding back a little bit. It means to set apart or to prefer above. It means to make holy. And uh, as we consecrate ourselves, uh, as we obey the statutes of God and seek to align ourselves with him and what he says in his word, uh, we're worshiping him. We do it not as an obligation. If you're kind of coming to church because you had to today, I'm sorry that that was your attitude. Church and, and the body of Christ and life with Christ is a total get-to. And it's something that we uh, are, are invited into, brought into by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And, and we get to consecrate ourselves. We get to surrender, as we sang, and just uh, make room for him. We get to do that. So worship comes through adoration. Worship comes through consecration. Worship comes through celebration. Isn't that true? Anybody here uh, happy to be in life with God? Yes. Celebrating that on some level, I pray. It's hard to keep there, right? It's hard to stay there all the time. Life gets hard. I get that. But even in the hard times, even when things are all Eeyore, who remembers Winnie the Pooh? Anybody remember Winnie the Pooh? It's my birthday, right? Uh, you know, everything's that, everybody who comes to you says, hey, here's something that's good. And you're like, yeah, but it could be bad. You know, uh, even when we're Eeyore, uh, there are so many blessings, so many amazing things going on around us. The Westminster Confession, it's the catechism that Presbyterians uh, take their young men and women through. It starts with something like this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Isn't that great? God's called us to a life of enjoying him. 
Certainly there's obvious stuff. And then there's the stuff that we take for granted. Who likes color? Anybody like color? I grew up in an era where that was not an option in TV watching. Does anybody remember that? Anybody remember the first time that you went color after black and white? I mean, it's just so amazing. Some of you guys are colorblind. You don't even know what I'm talking about. Everything's black and white. But color is just one of these amazing things that God has given us that we just take for granted. Now, he talks in Romans about how he's revealed himself in chapter 1 by his creation. And he shows his grandeur, his his awe-inspiring nature in the things that he's made. He didn't have to make it cool, but he did. You ever driven by something and been like, wow, that's what God did. Worship him in your wow. How about taste? Anybody like to taste things? Some things I don't like to taste. Black licorice, what is that? It's like a tire. Anyway, uh... But there's certain things that just match my palate, right? And when I taste them, I don't know what you do when you taste something. You probably say something like, mmm, or something like that. But what you're really saying is, yay, God, because he made that taste good. Uh, my, uh, uh, my last couple of weeks have been marked by uh, me being uh, more diligent in what I'm eating. I was letting go of sugar for a while and uh, still continue, you know, in wanting to do that so I could fit into shirts. But uh, yesterday, uh, longer story shorter here, my, my father took a tumble off his bike. He's fine. He, he has a tricycle, and he just kind of fell off. And uh, on Friday, uh, some of our neighbors came to his aid, and we wanted to say thank you to them for being there when Eleanor was at work and, and I was away. And so we do that through cookies. I don't know how you say thank you, um, but we're, we're Americans, so we say thank you with cookies. And... Uh, so it was, my, it was my job yesterday to make these cookies. I don't know if you knew this about me, but I make chocolate chip cookies. And I don't think it's bragging. They're the best chocolate chip cookies ever. I'm just telling you right now, my personal opinion. I love these cookies. Does anybody make something that you love to taste? That's probably why I keep, why I keep making these things. I've been making them for 30 years since I learned how to make them the first time. And sure, I love sharing them with you, but mostly I'm making the cookies for me. Are you with me? So I'm in this quandary. I'm like, oh, I'm not eating sugar and all this stuff. But I, I, I made the mistake. I was wiping off one of the beaters and stuff like that. And anybody do this? Is that oh, just a little? Li- oh. So I baked them all up, and I had one cookie plus five, and and they were so good, they were so delicious, and I didn't need them. <laughs> and I'm glad we gave the rest of them away, right? But it just tastes so good, and you're like, Mark, get on with it. But man, there's so many things that God does for us that are amazing that he didn't have to go to the, you know, bother of doing. And so we should celebrate him. The very breath in our lungs, we sing a song about it, the very breath that we breathe is a gift from him. And so as we breathe, as we live and move and have our being, we should live and move worshiping him. Adoration, consecration, celebration. We could go on. Seriously, I could do a whole year of sermons just talking about worship. In fact, let's be honest. Every every sermon I do is a worship sermon. That's what we do when we come in here on Sundays or Saturdays, whenever you hang out, is, is we come in here and we get reminded of who God is and who we are and how this relationship should work. And the relationship should work where we make room for him and worship him for who he is and what he's done and we live our lives for him, unto him, in a way that glorifies him. Every sermon's a worship sermon. 
But for our purposes today, I want to talk about this. Worship boils down to our focus, aim, and priority. When it comes to the worship of God, the first thing that we do is make him the first thing. Our first and foremost act as followers of God is to make him first and foremost. In everything that we are, as MacArthur said, it's pervasive. It, it, it seeps into every part of who we are. But we are meant to have eyes for him alone. The writer of the Hebrews talks about Jesus and he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The, the idea is they're like blinders. I see him first and foremost. Certainly I go to the rest of life and all the other areas of life. But in every part of my life, he's first. He's foremost. I was watching uh, music videos from the 80s the other night. Let me just explain. I came home from a board meeting, elder meeting. It was a great meeting on Monday night. And sometimes I need a little buffer. Football hasn't started yet, so that doesn't have, you know, and, and I, I needed something to watch that would just kind of bridge me into sleep. Are you with me? And so uh, MTV, which I was so disappointed. Last night at Saturday Night Service, I had to explain what MTV was to a 17-year-old uh, American. And I was just like, what is going on? Stands for music television. Who's with me? I, it came online when I was 12, and I'll confess, I liked watching it. Still do. And I, there's a show that they have called I Want My 80s. And you can go back and watch The Fix and all these other great bands. One thing leads to another. Anyway, all right, thank you. Yes. Uh, but you can watch all your, and, and just kind of reminisce and then fall asleep, right? And so I'm watching that, and then right after that, uh, that little program comes off, they had a show that's dedicated to the aughts, the 2000s, the 90s and the 2000s, and that's when I saw the Backstreet Boys video. All right, settle down, settle down. <laughs> the Backstreet Boys want it that way, all right? And this is their move. I want it that way. All right, anyway, I'm watching this video. And we're going through it, and it comes to the end of the video, and, and I remembered that I'm preaching worship this weekend, and I saw it happen. Because at the end of this video, they crescendo into the highest chorus of the song, and uh, they're all dancing out in front of this, you know, jet airplane, whatever that's for, and they've encircled themselves with about 150 teenage girls. And these young ladies are losing their minds. They're holding signs that say the names of their favorite, you know, boy, and they're asking, you know, mouthing as these guys are coming over, you know, and giving the hand. They're like reaching out and saying, will you marry me and all this stuff. And I'm like, worship. And some of you are like, no, Mark, they're just being paid. They're a part of the video. No, 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 no. I'm guessing those girls waited in line for the right to be in this. And the producers didn't have to tell them to do anything. They basically just said, don't cross this line. And you just love you some Backstreet Boys. And these girls went nuts. And some of us grew up watching the Beatles, and the girls react to them, and some of us other things. And, you know, uh, boys react the way they do to sports and stuff like that. But whenever something is, is the fixation of your life, and everything else melts away like a Backstreet Boy, worship is occurring. Your aim, your focus, your priority, everything else is lost. And you're in this moment with that idol, huh. and it's all you can see. 
And I think God looks down and he's like, hey, that's the Backstreet Boys. I'm God. Can I get a little of that up here? Can you give me some of that affection, that adoration, that consecration, that celebration? Can you give it up here? Can I be first and foremost ahead of your band or your stuff or even the people in your life? I've given you all of those as additions to what is meant to be your utmost, which is me. And so we're going to go to a verse that doesn't even say the word worship in it, but it teaches this part of worship Perfectly. I memorized it as a five or six year old. It's the first verse I ever memorized. It's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And this is what Jesus says to those who are listening here in this Sermon on the Mount. He says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I've quoted this verse to you guys, and I don't know how many sermons, I don't know if I've ever preached it to you. So I did a deep dive on this verse this week. It's a, wor- it's a verse about worship. Let me give you some background. Jesus is teaching here on this mountain. If, you, if you're kind of new to the Bible and you want to know who Jesus is and what he's about, this is a great place to drop in. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are basically all of Jesus' words, and he's talking about life with him, for him, like him, all right? And he, he's said a whole bunch of stuff, uh, but he gets up to this point, and, and he knows his audience. He's addressing a bunch of people who are... Uh, most scholars agree, probably from the dregs of Israelite society. They're not the rich. They are the poor. And they've, you know, uh, come out of the the neighborhoods of Galilee, and they've met Jesus on this hill, and and they're so interested in this rabbi who would actually take time for them and and teach them. Usually you had to be one of the higher-ups to get that privilege. But here, here he is, and he's willing to sit with them and talk to them. And, and, and because they're probably the poor of that society, they have all kinds, excuse me, all kinds of concerns. They're subsistence farmers. If their crops don't come in, they and their kids don't eat. It's not like they can run down to Walmart and grab some groceries. They uh, live in a desert. And if in the rainy season their cisterns don't collect enough water and they don't live close enough to a well to be able to provide themselves the hydration they need, there's a chance that they might die of thirst. They probably own one article of clothing, maybe an undershirt, but certainly just one cloak. It was their nightgown. It was their work clothes. It was their church or synagogue clothes. It was the one outfit they had. I'm guessing most of you woke up this morning, had some choices to make. I appreciate that one, Connor. It's a nice one. Uh, But everybody put on something that was, uh, you know, kind of in an array of options for you. And you're wearing what you wore because that's what you chose. Not in Israel. You put the same thing on that you wore yesterday and you'll wear it tomorrow again. So here they are. Um, This at-risk population. And Jesus says this to them. In Matthew 6, 25, as he gets ready to talk about seeking the kingdom. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will eat or what you will drink, or not about your body or what you're going to put on it, your clothing. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, theologically, maybe the people present will be like, yeah, I mean, sure. But practically, they're like, No. I mean, I just want to make it to tomorrow. I just want to eat and drink 
and not be naked. <laughs> Jesus goes on. He says, listen, don't worry about that stuff. God's got it. And he gives his examples, uh, the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. And he says, check out the birds. They got places to live, but they don't grow the wood that becomes their nests. If God gives shelter to them, if God provides for them, how much more is he going to provide for you? He goes to the, the flowers, the lilies of the field, and he says, check out the lilies. Speaking of beauty, he says they're adorned uh, more highly or, or more richly than Solomon in his best clothing as the king of Israel. He says if God cares about them and what they wear, how much more is he going to care about you who are created in his image? And then he summarizes again after giving those two arguments. He says in verse 31, therefore, do not be anxious, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? He gives one more uh, argument for him, his statement. He says, listen, that's what the Gentiles do. It's the Greek word ethnos, the, uh, where we get ethnic or ethnicity. He says, that's what all the people of the world do. And his point is, is that people who are without God, it's understandable that they worry because they don't have a God uh, to trust in or to rely on or they don't understand that they have a God to trust in and rely on and they go about life by themselves. Jesus says, don't be like everybody else out there who are making, you know, the, the needs of life, the things of life ultimate. It's their chief aim is to get that and more of that. They hoard and store and, and, and that's all life is. Whoever dies with the most stuff wins. Jesus says, that's not the point. That's what the Gentiles do. He says, listen, your heavenly father knows all that you need. And in saying so, he's implying, hey, listen, the God who made everything that everybody else is worshiping is your God. And he loves you. And he knows what you need. He's already provided it. He'll continue to provide it because it's his to provide. And then he says the words that we're going to kind of take a little closer peek at. He says, instead of worrying, instead of hanging, having anxiety about you know, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. <laughs> Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he says, and all this stuff will be added unto you. A very uh, specific way of stating the provision of God. We'll get to that in a second. Let's just walk through verse 33, phrase by phrase, and then we'll go home. If you want to worship God right, it starts with priority, focus, and aim. You should first and foremost make him first and foremost by seeking the kingdom of God. The Bible talks a lot about this kingdom of God. You ever notice that? Uh, we live, I was reminded again, in a democratic republic. That's what the United States are. And uh, so we get to vote and things like that. And we don't have a king. We have a president who sometimes thinks that he's a king, but he's not. He's a, an elected official. And we should be engaged. Let me just say that. Politically, we should be engaged. It's an awesome right for us to be a, uh, able to influence the direction of our country. Spiritually, we should take that very seriously. Okay, enough on that. But we don't live in a kingdom. If you live in a kingdom, especially in an ancient kingdom, the king is sovereign. And so when you see the kingdom of God invoked, you can probably, you know, park in other places there. But the chief emphasis of the kingdom talk in the Bible is the king. 
And so when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, what he's really saying is seek first the rule and the reign of the king who is God in your life and in the life that surrounds you. That's your chief aim. The reign and the rule of God, your surrender, his sovereignty, true and right worship makes God first in every area of life. He's the king of our home, our marriage, our family and parenting, our personal morality, our professional life, our business ethics, our bank balance, our tax returns, our lifestyle, our citizenship. God rules in every facet and area of our existence if we're worshiping him the way he wants us to. We seek his kingdom now, and not just his kingdom to come. In fact, when he teaches us to pray, just back up a few verses in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus uh, you know, crafts for us what a good prayer looks like. He says this in Matthew 6, verse 9. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. And he starts with praise, with worship. Hallowed be your name. Holy you are. And then the next thing is not your groceries. It's not the stuff you want, even the stuff you need. That comes a little bit later, but it only gets like a phrase in this prayer. He says, when you pray, pray first for the kingdom to come. Pray for the reign and rule of the king here on earth as it is in heaven. True worship seeks to glorify God by making him the rightful ruler of everything in our lives. True worship seeks not only the kingdom of God first, but it seeks the righteousness of God. They're in tandem. I want his rule and his reign in my life, and I want his righteousness to show up in my life. Righteousness is one of those words we don't throw around in our common vernacular, right? Unless you're like a surfer, you know, maybe back in the 80s. What a righteous wave, dude, or something like that, right, from the movies we watched. Righteous doesn't make our, our words. But righteousness, without you know, over-confusing, is just rightness. It's just doing things right. The righteousness that you and I have in our relationships with God is not a righteousness of our own making. Don't miss this. If you are righteous and you are doing righteousness correctly, it's not a self-righteousness. It's an imputed righteousness. God, uh, by his spirit, uh, displaces us in our efforts with the presence of Christ and his spirit. And Christ, through us, uh, his imputed righteousness to us is imparted to the world around us. I talk about it sometimes with you that if you've ever been in that situation, we're like, I don't know where that came from. Because you know that that's not a part of your makeup to be that nice in a situation like that or to be that generous because otherwise you're Ebenezer Scrooge. You know what I'm talking about? I celebrate those moments because here's what happened. The righteousness of God was imputed to you and displaced you from you. And he shone through you and was given as a gift to the world around you. Are you with me? This is what we strive for. True worship seeks to surrender, like we sang before I got up, and to allow God and his righteousness to flow into us and out of us to a world that needs him. Seek first the righteousness of God. That's why the prayer that Jesus taught earlier in this chapter begins with the kingdom and then moves quickly after a brief reprise 
to the righteousness that we should strive for in our worship of God. So he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread. There it is. That's the only phrase that we get about our needs in the entire prayer. And, and we're, what's it rooted in? Manna. Daily bread, if you're kind of unfamiliar with the, the Bible story, is a direct reference to what happened in the days of uh, the children of God, of Israel, being in the wilderness after their slavery in Egypt. They're, they're hanging out for 40 years. They can't provide for themselves. They don't have their own territories. There's no place to farm. They're constantly moving. And so God starts to feed his people with bread from heaven, right? And it's called manna. And it only lasts for how long? One day. And so it literally becomes a daily bread. And it subsists them. It gives them what they need. And so when Jesus teaches us who follow him how to pray, he says, just pray for what you need. He says in other places we can ask for whatever we wish. We can, we can seek to you know, receive from God. I'm not saying that you only pray for what you need. But when it comes to life and prayer, uh, you know, start with what you need. But then as he moves forward in this prayer, he says, give us this day our daily bread, and then he goes right to righteousness. He says, forgive us our debts. Hey, God, sorry about my unrighteousness. Can you forgive those ways that I missed your rightness so that I can be right with you? He says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors, those who are unrighteous towards us. Can everybody see how the slate is being cleaned? The, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the uh, sins are being atoned. Forgive me of mine. Help me to forgive them of theirs. He goes on and he says, let's talk about the future, Lord. As I go through this day, lead me not into unrighteousness. Keep me right, Lord. Deliver me from evil, unrighteousness. Don't let me step off of this path that you have for me. It's, <laughs> Matthew 6, is a worship verse. It tells us where to put our our focus and our aim. Seek first the kingdom, the reign and the rule of God. Seek first his righteousness. And then he says these words. And basically implies this. Worship God first and he'll take care of the rest of the stuff. Worship God first. He's got the rest. I, I'd never noticed this before in, in my you know, 40 years of being a Christian or whatever it's been. Uh, I never noticed how the, the, the wording of this verse pops when you understand how Jesus is putting this. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. And he uses the word added. And he could have said in there, and listen, I'll take care of all the other things or all of these things I will give to you. But he uses a math word, added, put on top of. I don't know what's, uh, you know, the, the sprinkles of your life. Like anybody ever gotten like a, 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 an ice cream sundae and at the last, you know, the, the last station of the ice cream sundae is, hey, you want some sprinkles? And you're like, oh, cool, I'll have sprinkles today. But they don't make the sundae, it's the ice cream and, and you know, the bananas and the banana split or whatever. That's, they're just the sprinkles on top. We get that, right? What, everybody look at me. What Jesus just said about your food, your water, your clothing is in essence, they're the things that I'll add on top of what really matters the most. They're the sprinkles. We make them the Sunday. But the Sunday is Him. Him first. His rule, His reign, His righteousness. The other stuff is sprinkles. 
It's what he adds on top. I love that. Doesn't that change some things for you? Because here's what happens to me. I get out there, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm at the age I'm at, I'm wondering, when can I retire? Anybody doing that? Mark, you doing that? I'm doing that. When can I retire? When can I be done working? I love doing this, by the way, but I'd be fine not doing it. Is anybody with me? When can I retire? And I start going to bank books and IRAs and all these other things, and I'm like, ah, oh, this one. And then, you know, God in his loving uh, way to me pops me spiritually upside the head and says, Mark, don't worry about that. Don't spend your time spinning on that stuff. That's not the point. Retirement is not your aim. I am. And we'll work on that when we get there. And he's not, listen, I'm not telling you to not be careful or planned or wise. Don't hear me say that. I'm saying in your priorities, you have one chief aim. The God who made you and his glory. That's it. Everything else, he gives in his sovereignty to us. Who's grateful for that? But it's extra. Let's close with this verse. Whereas Jesus finishes up this little diatribe on anxiety and priority, he closes in verse 34 by saying, worship your king in the now. In verse 34, it goes like this, therefore do not be anxious for anything, or excuse me, about tomorrow. That was a previous verse. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. All right, here we go. I read a, I read a text this week that made me think, I'm not a philosopher, I'm not a philosophy major, but let me just ask you a question, right? Is there any such thing as tomorrow? So someone said no, because I'm guessing you're thinking that's right. And I would agree with you. There is no such thing as tomorrow. It's this concept we have. You're like, duh, Mark, Monday, it's called Monday. That's tomorrow. Has anybody of us ever been in tomorrow? No one in here has ever inhabited a tomorrow. Guess why? You only have what? Today. That's why God spends so much time talking about being free of yesterday. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? He says, well, get rid of yesterday. That's gone. And don't sweat tomorrow. It's not even a thing. Tomorrow has enough worries for itself. We'll get there when it's today. But then he says this, listen, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I, Jesus is so honest. He recognizes that sin has marred creation. It's a broken world. There, he said it, in this world you will have trouble. He's like, come on, I know it stinks sometimes. I know you're worried about where your food and your water, and it's legitimate. Those are legitimate concerns. But his point is this, hey, people, no matter if it's worry over what you'll eat or drink or wear, no matter if it's worry over what the doctor will say after you have the appointment, no matter if it's worry of how you're going to survive with the one who has not, no matter what your worry is rooted in, you are in the now with the God who is in control. And even as we walk through the valleys of the shadows and of the death, he is with us, 
And his rod and his staff are a strength to us. Listen, people. All we need in life is the God who made us. He will take care of the other stuff. And if we can just get it into our thick heads that he is first and foremost and trust him for what we lack, well, then we'll be worshiping. So you get a choice. Where are your worship? You get a choice. Worship things that aren't God or worship the one that is. When we're living in right worship, um, the stuff of life just kind of ebbs away. Last story. So my son Ben turns 28 a couple weeks ago. And every kid in my house, when they have a birthday, they get to plan their own birthday meal. He chooses mellow mushroom, all right? But I tell him before we get there, we're all kind of arriving, you know, from our jobs at different times. I say, hey, man, just go ahead and order so that, you know, the pizza's cooking by the time we all get there. So he gets there like 15, 20 minutes early. He puts the order in. And then I get to sit there as the wallet, right? I'm paying. And I get to watch as appetizer after appetizer starts appearing. Has anybody been at this dinner? Ah, oh, I guess we're getting those, huh? Okay. And, 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 and more friends arrive. Like I thought it was just these, you know, in my family, but here they come. Oh, I guess he's coming to dinner. We're going to be buying for him too. All right. And, here, and everybody just keeps showing up and bends down at the end of the table and he's just like, happy birthday to me, right? He's just having a good time. And pies come and people eat and there's tons left over, which I know he planned, right? Because he gets to take that home. And he sits there in this blissful exuberance. Why? Because dad's going to pay. Dad's got this. I can hang out in life and just trust and enjoy what he's given and will give. Because the bill's coming to him. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but here's what I hope you're hearing. God's got us. He's sitting at the end of the table. And I'm not telling you to go out there and, and buy a bunch of apps. I'm not telling you that. But I'm telling you, you can trust him with whatever you face. Just put him first. Let him reign. Let him rule. Choose his righteousness. Worship your God and King. All right, that's all I got to say. Stand up, let's pray. Hey, Lord. Father, we, uh, we, we stand in this room together. I know... Most, if well, I'll just say a lot of the people standing in front of me. I know they love you. Uh, many of you, uh, many here, have loved you longer than I have. They've they've known you and trusted you in life for things. But we all we all run into moments where we forget, where we get distracted, where other things become utmost. So, God, my prayer for us as we leave today is that you would uh, retake the throne of our lives that you would reign and rule in us, that we'd make room for you. That we would choose you and your righteousness above all the other things that this world has to offer, all the other means by which we might accomplish what we desire. Help us to choose you and your path. It's best, it's right, it's gonna be good, even if it's hard. And just, God, help us to worship you in every facet and phase of life with our thoughts, with our words, with our deeds, in every relationship. It's more than a set of songs, this worship thing. May you rule and reign 
in your righteousness, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Blessings on you. I'll be over here if you want to talk.